Here's what we're going to do tonight. Uh, we are going to talk about spiritual warfare. We're going to talk about Satan. We're going to talk about demons. We're going to talk about Christus Victor, Christ the Victor. And uh, we're going to dive into Ephesians chapter 6. Let me pray for us and uh, pray that God would just, just get all up in this place and uh, help us to be excited about the fact that he's won. Because um, sometimes we're not, right? We're just kind of like, oh, he's been defeated, right? That's cool. Okay, let's go to Chili's. Uh, <laughs> like he, okay, check this out. Jesus wins. Amen? Right? Like that, that is something to be kind of amped about. So let's pray. Let's get amped. We're going to study Ephesians 6. And we're going to see uh, what we have in Christ because he's the victor. Father, thank you that you're the winner. And that because we are in you, if we're followers of you, we win. And so tonight as we talk about spiritual warfare, God, I pray you would remind us that we talk about this. But God, the battle has already been won. The verdict is decided. You win and we win because we're in you. And so, Father, I pray tonight for a believer who's in this room that comes in defeated, thinking that Satan has a hold on their life, thinking that they are bound to always live in sin. God, that, that is not true. And I pray you would, you would free us from that thought. I pray you would free us from that thought. That we would not go on sinning anymore. Habitually, that we would repent. And so, Father, tonight I just pray that we would have a good time, we'd enjoy your word, and we would just get jacked about the fact that you win. You are the winner. And so we love you, Jesus. We pray all this in your name. All God's people said, Amen. hey, take your Bible, go to Ephesians chapter 6. And um, if, you are, uh, if you are new, we've been walking through the book of Ephesians. And if you're kind of like, dude, I missed the whole thing because I've been in school, right? What? Oh, no, man, we're getting recorded live. Yeah, that's why I'm wearing this thing. Plus, there's more of you, and I don't want to scream. So uh, the podcast that they were trying to remind me to push the button, but now I'm being recorded through the system. Uh, every week, we're putting the messages on uh, the podcast, so you can go to the Refuge website, refugecam.com. Am I correct there? Not org? Com? Okay. And, uh, and you can check out all the messages. We actually go all the way back to the Relate series. Tonight, we're not going to deal a lot with uh, marriage that's dealt with in Ephesians 5. Uh, we're not going to deal with parents because we dealt with all that in the Relate series. So go check out the Relate series. We have a whole week on parents. We have a whole week on marriage and sex and dating and what God thinks about sex. Go check that out. You probably should know what God thinks about sex. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6 tonight. And I want to set a little bit of context here because here's what Paul is doing. We've been talking for the past few weeks about this word in two little letters that have a big significance for us if we're in Christ Jesus. And here's the really cool thing about Ephesians. Ephesians is an amazing book. And, and I've given it to people to read before and said, hey, read Ephesians if they're new believers, because it really describes what has happened to us and how we are supposed to live in response to what has happened to us, our identity, who we are in Christ, and what it means for Christ to be in us. So this word in kind of has a duality. Christ is in us. We are in Christ. And what does that look like? So we found out couple things that we're chosen by God for his glory. We're redeemed by him. We've been, we have been adopted into his family. And because of all of that stuff, there's this sense of not obligation, but I don't, I don't live for Christ out of obligation. I live for Christ because he's done all of this for me. My response to Christ is not obligation. That's what religion says. My response to Christ is I love you so much, Jesus, for doing all this for me. So I want to live for you. So then Paul says in Ephesians chapter five, he says, be imitators of your father. Not imitators so that, so that you can gain his favor. You already have that. Not imitators because you fear him, because he's already shown you his love. You shouldn't fear him. Imitators because you love your father who's given you so much. And 
and he tells us to imitate him. So there's kind of like this really awesome thing going on throughout Ephesians. It's like Christ has chosen you. You need to live for him. You need to repent of sin that's in your life that's habitual. You can do this. You can love your wives like Christ loved the church guys. Women, you can submit someday to your husbands. Uh, and some of you guys are like, yay. Um, but that means that the husband needs to be loving you as Christ loved the church. So, so there's all this stuff that Paul says. He kind of gives some moral direction for those of us who are in Christ. And we're like, yeah, 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 I'm for that, right? I want to live my life for the glory of God. But then Paul ends with like this reality check. And he says, you know what? It's going to be really difficult. It's going to be insanely difficult to live your life for the glory of God. Anyone in here would say, man, I've just been feeling like it's really difficult for me to live for the glory of God. Anyone in here? Follow me. Paul's going to tell us why it's really difficult. Here's a central thought tonight. Paul says we are in the middle of a battle. We are in the middle of a war, and we have a real enemy, and our enemy hates us. Jesus said it like this. Your enemy hates you. He goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. I don't know if you've ever seen a lion devour something. It's not pretty. He hates you, and the reason why he hates you is because if you're in Christ, Paul tells us we are increasingly being conformed to the image of Christ. So Satan, our real enemy, hates Christ. Why? Because he wanted to be Christ, but he couldn't. He couldn't be the leader of heaven. And he hates Christ so much. And because he hates Christ, and because you are being made to look more like Christ, he hates you. Follow me? Christian means little Christ. You look like him. And when Satan looks at us, he goes, I hate them. Hates you. And he's making all out war against you. So that is why it is really difficult for us at times to live for the glory of God. So here's what Paul says. Join me in Ephesians 6 and we'll see what he says. Uh, Chapter 6, verse 10. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might and put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, there's a whole lot of like misconception about the devil out there. Just kind of rewind for a second, and we're going to spend some time in the book of Genesis later in the year uh, after um, the summer is kind of winding down. But in Genesis, we see Satan, and we first see Satan as a walking, talking snake. And he comes to Eve, and then he comes to Adam, and he convinces them through a lie and deception to eat the fruit of the tree so they will be like God. Here's a little footnote for you. When a, a walking, talking, lying at that snake comes up to you, walk away, right? I don't listen to walking, talking snakes. And it's really weird because at that point, the snake was walking. That would freak me out because snakes that slither on the ground freak me out. A walking one that can run after me freaks me out more. So Satan comes up and he manifests himself as a snake and he lies to him. And he's been doing the same thing ever since deceiving us. And the biggest deception is this. You can be your own God. That is the biggest deception. All of sin is rooted in this. You are your own God. You make your own choices. You do whatever you want to do. God doesn't matter. Live for your glory. That's Satan's lie. At the root of everything, that is Satan's lie. It always has been. It always will be. He doesn't have any new schemes, but for some reason, he keeps getting us. For some reason, he keeps getting us. Now, here's some things we we need to realize about Satan. Satan is not a duality of God. Sometimes what we do in church is we ascribe to Satan the same things that God is, that God is um, a couple omni things here. He's omnipresent, which means he's everywhere all the time. He is also omniscient, which means he knows everything. God knows exactly what you're thinking right now, and that could be a good thing or a bad thing for some of us. 
God is all-powerful. So that means this. No one has more power than God. God is all-powerful. He is a sovereign king over the universe. He knows everything. He sets everything up. He is everywhere all the time. But sometimes what we do with Satan is we kind of ascribe the same things to Satan. We basically say, well, you know, Satan was over here doing this. Was he? Well, Satan was over here doing this, and he was also over there doing that. Whoa, 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 whoa. Satan is not omnipresent. He is a created being. In fact, it tells us in the book of Daniel, and we also see this in Revelation, Satan led one-third of the angels to rebel against God. Satan was an angel. An angel is a created being. He is not a duality of God. But what we do is we ascribe to Satan these same things. We say, well, maybe Satan is omnipresent. He's everywhere all the time. Or maybe Satan knows everything. Or maybe Satan is all-powerful. Catch this. Only one person can be all-powerful, and that is God. Only one person is all-powerful. Satan has to come to God to ask for permission. Job, he says, can I come and sift your servant? Can I test Job? He had to ask for permission from God because God is all-powerful. But we ascribe these attributes to Satan sometimes without even knowing it, and he likes that. Because if we ascribe to him more power than he really has, the reality is in your life he will have that power. Satan is not omniscient, so he doesn't know what you're thinking. He only knows what you show him. He is not omniscient. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. So here's the deal. Satan is our real enemy. He wants to destroy us. He's seeking to destroy us. He has schemes, and sometimes we forget that. If Satan were to come to your door today and offer you his scheme for your life, would it cause you to think a little bit more about spiritual warfare? Would it cause you to think a a little bit more about the decisions you make and the places that you go and all that stuff and be looking that Satan is really out to get me, right? Let me ask you this. If you were Satan, none of you are, obviously. If you were Satan, and you know you, right? I know me. I know where my weak parts are. I know where the like breakdown in my armor, so to speak, is. Where would you attack you? Where would you attack you? That is a good way for you to figure out where Satan is going to attack you. If it's lust, man, he's going he's to get you every time there. Is it materialism? Is it bitterness? Is it pride? Where is the weak link for you? Because that is exactly where Satan will go. If I'm in a fight and I know someone's really strong in one area, I'm not going to continually hit that area. I'm going to go for their weak spot, right? If I'm being attacked in the parking lot, I'm just I'm going to go ahead and tell you. If it's a dude, I'm kicking him where it hurts, right? I'm just being honest with you, man. I know I know I know I'm a guy. I know if I kick a guy there, he's falling to the ground. So uh, I'm going to kick him there. That's a good lesson for you, ladies. Um, so some of y'all are like, I, here's what I got out tonight. Kick Satan where it matters. Um, but here's what, here's, what, here's what Paul says. He goes on and he tells us how we can defeat Satan, how we can fight Satan, how we can engage in this battle. Check out what he says. He goes on in verse 11 and says this. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So here's what Paul says. A couple things is he says, look, here's the deal. Our battle is unseen and it's untangible. He says, you don't wrestle against flesh and blood. So here's what we have to realize is our battle is not against all those sinners. Sometimes as evangelical Christians, we think that our battle is against the wrong person. 
You hear people say things like this. Well, we just need to, we just need to win the election so that all those homosexuals will go away. Our battle is not against people who live a homosexual lifestyle. Our battle is not against people who go clubbing on the weekend. Our battle is not against people who do drugs. Our battle is not against sinners. Those are simply people who are caught up in the chains of sin, and they need deliverance just like we need a deliverance. We should care for them. We should pray for them. We should reach out to them. We should be, we should be there for them. They are not our enemy. That's what Paul is saying. They are not your enemy. You do not wrestle against flesh and blood. And if you do, you miss the point. Our enemy is not flesh and blood. He is not tangible. He is not seen. Our enemy is unseen, and he's untangible, and he likes it that way. And he's getting some of us because of that. So we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We don't wrestle against people. People are not our enemy. But when we think people are our enemy, we miss the point. And Satan, man, he has a field day. Our enemy is unseen and untangible. And here's what Paul says. He says, the church is not just a bride. We've talked about this before. The church is the bride of Christ. The church is not just a bride. The church is a warring army because we are in the midst of a battle, whether we like it or not. So here's what Paul does. He, he continues on, and this is pretty awesome because he says, here's how you can fight. Because you're in the middle of a battle, you've got to figure out how to fight. Here's how you can come against the schemes of the devil. He says this. Look at verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Paul, when he was writing to the church at Ephesus, he was chained to a Roman prison guard. All day, every day, he was chained to a guy who was wearing an armor. He was chained to this guy. So here's the deal. Paul starts talking, and he starts talking about what does it look like for me to fight this spiritual battle? I'm in the middle of a spiritual battle. What does it look like for me to do that? And Paul's illustration is the guy that he's chained to and has been chained to ever since he's been in prison. See, there was like these six or 12-hour shifts, and basically one guy would walk in and unchain himself to Paul. Another guy would walk in and chain himself to Paul, and they wanted to make sure nothing weird happened, right? Because um, sometimes these apostle guys have a tendency to get out of jail. Free. Angels, that kind of stuff. So they're like, we don't want to make sure this we want to make sure this guy doesn't get out of jail. So they chain themselves to him. So when Paul's writing this, get this imagery. He's looking around going, How can I communicate to these people how they can put on the Lord? And he looks up and he's looking at a guy who's got this armor and he goes, like, perfect. I've got it. So he begins telling us what the armor is. And here's the first thing. He he continues on and says this. Look at the scripture here. He says, Take up the whole armor of God. And verse 14, he says this, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. So he starts with this belt. And now Tabitha, I'm very grateful to her for getting me all of this armor stuff uh, from the drama closet, not from her house. Her and Tim don't fight that much. Um, (laughs) I don't know. Maybe they do. But uh, this is Tabitha's armor, so I don't know what Tim's wearing, but watch out. So this is uh, the belt of truth. Now, I'll be honest with you. This is a rope, okay? Some of you are like, that is a noose. Um, (laughs) Take The belt of truth. Now, here's the deal. Paul starts with the belt, and he calls it the belt of truth. And as we begin to think about what is the belt of truth, here's the deal. The belt that the Roman guard would wear was much better than that. Um, It was more than a rope. It would hold the whole armor on. So here's what Paul is saying. He's saying truth is what holds everything together. If truth does not guide faith, it's, it's lost. If truth does not guide salvation, it's lost. If truth does not guide my actions for the gospel, it's lost. So he says the first thing we've got to do is put on truth. Why do we have to put on truth? Why does it have to be the core of who we are? Because our enemy, catch this, 
His native tongue is to lie. You and I have grown up in America, most of us. Your native tongue is English. Someone once said, <laughs> I was talking to someone in uh, China, and they said, you speak Americanese. I said, no, I speak English. Uh, our native tongue is English. Their native tongue in China is Chinese. They speak a lot of different languages, but their native tongue, what they know to speak, is Chinese. Satan can only speak lies. It is his native tongue. And like I said before, he's been doing it since Genesis. He lies about everything, and he lies to us. And so here's what Paul says. He says, put on truth. Be a person of truth. Be a person who loves the truth. Put on truth. And here's the reality tonight, is that you're never more like Jesus than when you are sacrificing, when you're giving of yourself, when you're giving of your resources, when you're giving of your time. Because to be like Jesus, in essence, is to sacrifice. Jesus sacrificed ultimately for us. And so I am never more like Christ than when I'm sacrificing, putting away myself so that I can serve someone else. But you're never more like Satan than this, when you are lying, when you live a lie. And some of us have lied so much that we don't even know what's true. You have lied to yourself so much about your walk with God or where you stand or sin in your own life. You've justified it so much that you don't even know what's true. Paul says, put on the belt of truth because the truth will hold everything else together. If that belt comes off, the whole armor comes off. Truth is at the core. Put on the belt of truth because our enemy, his native tongue is to lie. And some of you are being lied to tonight. Some of you are being lied to about who you are in Christ. Some of you are being lied to about what it means to have value in life. Some of you are being lied to about all kinds of things. And what Satan would love to do is to lie to you and to condemn you and to accuse you. That's what he does, and he's good at it, and we buy it. And Paul says, put on the belt of truth. But he goes on and says this. He says, not only put on the belt of truth, but then he continues on. And he says, also put on the breastplate of righteousness. So back in the day, Paul was chained to this Roman guard, and he would have had a breastplate on. But it, was di- it would have been different than this breastplate, because the breastplate that they had back then was made up of basically pieces of metal or metal chain that kind of acted almost like a, a bulletproof vest. But it wrapped around their whole body. It wasn't just the front. It was their whole body. And so here's what Paul says. He says, put on the breastplate of righteousness so that you may withstand. Now, why does it matter that I put on the breastplate of righteousness? Here's what he's saying. Put on truth because that's at the core. But then he says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Christ is our righteousness. But what he calls you and I to, to stand against the devil, is to live a righteous life. There's a little thing called positional righteousness and practical righteousness. If you were in Christ, you were positionally righteous. What do I mean by that? Well, Ephesians 2, if you've been here for this whole deal, we've learned this, is that Christ has saved us, made us alive, redeemed us, and we have been seated with Christ in heavenly places. We are positionally righteous. The truth about us, if we're in Christ, is that we are righteous, positional righteousness. But if, but if we're in Christ, we do have positional righteousness, but sometimes we don't have practical righteousness. Like what I say about my life and what Christ says about me is that I'm righteous, but the reality is some of us don't have practical righteousness, meaning this. Christ says I'm 100% righteous and that you are his child, but sometimes we live totally opposite of that. 
when we live totally opposite of that, we don't take off the righteousness of Christ. No one can take off the righteousness of Christ if we are in Christ. But what we do is we kind of take off this breastplate of righteousness and we expose ourselves to a lie from the enemy. How? What do I mean by that? I mean this. Because then when you do that, when you don't live in practical righteousness, even though you are positionally righteous, you open up to attacks and lies from the enemy to convince you that you're not who you are in Christ, to convince you that you can't worship God or be used by God, to convince you to come in here and sing tonight and raise your hands that, that you would be a hypocrite because you just haven't been living in practical righteousness. But the reality is you are positionally righteous. So here's what Paul says. He says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Live out the righteousness that Christ already says that you have in him. Live it out. Not because you fear him, not because you want to gain his favor, because he calls you righteous. Live in that. Because when you take this off, dude, you are like a walking target. You are a walking target to a lie from the enemy, to defeat you and keep you down and keep you from ever doing anything for the Lord. That's where some of you are tonight. He continues on. He says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. But then he, he continues on to another imagery here as he's looking at his buddy he's chained to. And he says, put on the shoes that are fitted with the gospel of peace. Verse 15, he says, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. A Roman soldier back in the day would have worn sandals that were similar to this. But what these sandals don't have on them that the Roman soldiers would have had was little, little thorns in the bottom of their sandals, little nails that would basically have given them really good footing so that they could stand against the enemy. So that if they were on a hill, they could stand against the enemy so that they could move up against the enemy with some urgency. Here's what Paul is saying. Two things when he says put on the, the shoes that are fitted with the gospel of peace. Number one, he says put on a compassion and an urgency to take the gospel somewhere. There is a lot of folks, and we talked about this a little bit last week, but there are a lot of folks that go to church every week that have zero sense of urgency. I mean, we're cool coming and sitting at something like this and consuming and being a part of a worship gathering and listening to a message and then going home and being like, oh, that message was okay, or that worship was okay, or you know, those lights were okay. We're cool consuming, but there's no sense of urgency to go. This is not for your consumption. Newsflash. This is to equip you to leave this place this week and go be urgent for the sake of the gospel on your campus. This is to equip you to leave this week and go be urgent for the sake of the gospel in our city. This is to equip you to leave this week and be urgent for the sake of the gospel in North America. And this is to equip you to go be urgent for the sake of the gospel in the world. There is not a sense of urgency among a lot of people I meet. There is not a sense of urgency. I'm really grateful for you guys, though, because I sense a sense of urgency in our group. I sense that you want to go. You want to do whatever it takes to get the gospel to places like China, to places like Lesotho, as we're actually commissioning a team to go tonight. Be urgent for the gospel. Because there's a lot of people who are urgent for a lot of things, and Paul says this. He says, if you're not urgent for the gospel, then you're moving backwards. If we're not urgent to advance the gospel, Satan loves that. Why? Because if we're not urgent to advance the gospel, he is advancing. That is not what we've been called to. Right? And I know I'm coming kind of hard here, so I appreciate you hanging with me. But it is not what we've been called to. He's called us to urgency. He says, put on the shoes that are fitted with the gospel. And the reality is this. I used to run track. I don't know if anybody ever has run track before. Anybody run track? Yeah. 
I did used to run track. Now I ride my bike for 30 minutes and I feel like I'm going to die. Um, I started out running long distance and I realized that was not cool, right? I like like quick and immediate gratification, right? I'm an, I'm an American. So I decided to start running long di- uh, short distance, 100 meter, 400 meter relay. I like the 400 meter relay because we actually get to go around the whole track as a team and I only had to go around like part of it. So uh, we did that and I did that and, and I would go out and I would run and do my thing. And I was not too bad at that point, but I'm really out of shape and old at this point. But back then, man, I loved the thrill of the race. And I loved the relay because it was like I had my hand back waiting on the baton, and I'm watching all these guys come, and I know that guy's about to come and hand me the baton. Here we go, right? Well, when I was in eighth grade, I was running this race. My shoes were untied. And uh, the baton hit me in the hand, and I said, boom, here we go. Adrenaline rushed through my body, and here I'm like ready to go. And we were winning at this point. I stepped I step out to run. I get this foot on the ground. I grab this foot, but I did not realize that my shoe had come untied. My, I step on the shoelace. I flip and hit my face on the ground, and my shoes flew out from behind me. And I think I threw the baton over the fence. Now I'm an eighth grader, right? I've already got a problem. I have really big ears, and I'm skinny. So I was not ready. Some of us in this room are not urgent. Paul says, put on the shoes of the gospel, fitted for the gospel. And here's what Paul also says in Romans, is that when you put on these shoes, the Bible says, he who takes the gospel, his feet are beautiful. There are a lot of people in Lesotho this summer who your feet are going to be very beautiful to them. There are a lot of people in China this summer that your feet are going to be very beautiful to them because they have never heard the gospel. And they are waiting on you with urgency to come. There are a lot of places in the world that are waiting on you with urgency to come. There are people in Ybor City that are waiting on you with urgency to go. Places in this city that we would not dare go because they have been, so to speak, cursed by the church. Jesus is waiting for us to go there with some urgency. With some urgency. He continues on, he says this, not only put on the shoes, but then he says, take up the shield of faith. Now this shield, um, again, doesn't quite do it justice, okay? We kind of sometimes think of a little shield, but back then what they had, basically, they had basically a shield that was the size of a door. So to be a Roman soldier, you had to be pretty like stout, right? They had a shield the size of a door. It was made out of wood. And what would happen is that people, the enemy of the Roman soldiers would fire these darts at them. Well, they realized that the darts weren't doing any good against a solid wooden door. So what they began doing was dipping their darts in kerosene and lighting them on fire. That works pretty good against a wooden door. So then at that point, you have a guy holding a wooden door. It bursts into flames. He lets it go and screams. And then the next one comes and hits him in the chest. Here's what Paul says. Check this out. Verse 16. He says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. So Paul uses this imagery that would have made a lot of sense to the church at Ephesus. He says, Satan is your enemy. He is firing these darts at you. He says, take up the shield of faith. And now you're going, well, Matt, you just told me that it didn't work for them. Well, here's what they started doing back then. They realized our doors are burning down and our men are being set up on fire. So they wrapped their wooden doors in leather and then they made it wet so it would stick and it would basically be this protection for them. So then they started shooting arrows at them, but they weren't burning the doors up because it was made of leather. And here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, in all circumstances, have the shield of faith. Faith. What is faith? It's the evidence of things unseen. 
It is hope for things that have not yet happened. Faith. Faith that Jesus is going to finish what he started in you. The biggest thing that we need faith against is the fact that Satan is going to come and lie to you, and he's going to come and tell you you're not righteous in Christ. He's going to come and tell you you're not Christ's child. He's going to come and tell you you're not worthy to be used. And he says, for all of that, those fiery darts that come at you, and some of you have had them today, the anxieties, the worries, the fears that shoot at you from all angles. Anybody following me? Man, my day has been that, right? He says, take up the shield of faith, because in that moment, that shield of faith will extinguish those fiery darts that the enemy shoots at you. He says, take up that door, that shield of faith, which is Jesus. He says, take up the shield of faith, which is Jesus. And here's some things. The Bible says this, that Satan is, um, Satan is the accuser of the brethren. That's one of the ways that it describes Satan. Satan has a lot of names, Beelzebub, and a lot of times we see him as the guy with red tights on all that stuff. But the reality is Satan is very cunning and very crafty. And I was telling someone today, actually Josh called me today and said, hey man, I'm praying for you because I know that anytime someone speaks about spiritual warfare, it's like Satan's like, don't like that. I am on you, right? And I said, you know what, man? Josh said he woke up this morning with some weird rash. And I was like, dude, I'm sorry. Uh, (laughs) Satan himself must have come to your house, right? Uh, Sorry, Josh. Um, Sorry you got chosen to lead on Spiritual Warfare Week, man. Uh, Should have read the text. Uh, but I told Josh, I said, man, here's the, here's the way that Satan gets me. I have a real problem with anxiety. I have a real problem worrying about the future. I have a real problem worrying if God's going to provide for us. And I don't know why, because he always has. I have a real problem worrying about my worth. Um, I have a real problem with all that stuff. And here's what the Bible says, that Satan is the accuser of the brethren, and his fiery darts are not typically things that are very noticeable, but they're little things like this, that that you're not worthy, that Jesus really doesn't love you. They're little things like, do you remember uh, what you did before you were a believer? And you think that you can be used by God. They are fiery darts of what I like to call condemnation. And here's what Paul said in Romans 8, 1. He said, if anyone is in Christ, there is no condemnation for him. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So these fiery darts that are shot at us are basically, hey, remember your sin? Remember your sin? Remember your sin? And all I've got to do is go and take Satan over to the cross and go, hey, do you remember the cross? Do you remember the cross? you remember the cross? Done. (laughs) Done. All my sins up there, Jesus paid for it, it's finished, so why don't you aim your fiery darts at yourself, right? (laughs) Done. So he continues on and he says this, and then I fell. Um, Verse 17, he says this, he says, take up the shield of faith, but then he continues and says, also take up the helmet of salvation. Now, I don't know about you, but if any one of us lost our heads, I'm pretty sure it's done for us. You kind of need your head. In a fight, I don't know if anyone in here was ever like a a brawler or anything, but I've watched a lot of zombie movies. And here's what I know from zombie movies. Go for the head, right? If there's ever a zombie attack, here's what I want. I want a guy with a shotgun and a big truck, maybe a Hummer, uh, and I want someone who is really good at aiming. I'm just going to hang out with that guy. Because I know from all zombie movies, you go for the head. If you want to kill something, you go for the head. 
Well, here's what Paul says. He says, put on the helmet of salvation because we're in the middle of a spiritual battle. Here's what he's literally saying. He said, the head is the, head is the most important part of this whole battle. If he can take out the head, he takes out the person. If he takes out the head, he takes out the person. So he actually takes the most important part of your body that needs the most coverage, and he attaches the most significant thing to it, salvation. Put on the helmet of salvation. People who are not saved, number one, do not realize that they're in the middle of a spiritual battle. They may feel the effects of it. They may feel the effects of it, but they don't realize that they're in the middle of it. And it's like people who aren't saved are walking around in the middle of a war zone without a helmet on. Just walking around. It would be the image of maybe someone going over to Iraq and going into a, an area of war where they're really shooting and there's a lot of fighting or going to Afghanistan or Pakistan or something like that, and somebody just kind of walking around. There's guys that are all just covered you know, in their artillery and their armor and they're in bunkers and just some dude walking around in like you know diesel jeans and a t-shirt from buckle and he's like hey guys how's it going just walking around they're like what are you doing freaking get in the bunker you're gonna get shot in the head that's what paul says he says if we don't have the helmet of salvation we're like people walking around in a war zone clueless the helmet of salvation i would say this tonight if you're in here tonight and you're not a believer you need the helmet of salvation. You need Christ. Because we're in the middle of a battle. And if you don't have this, you are a sitting target. You are a sitting target. He says, put on Christ. Put on the helmet of salvation. He continues on and he says this. Look at verse 17. He says, also, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, this is the one you love as a kid, right? I remember my pastor used to come and talk about the sword of the Spirit. And he would bring a real sword, not a wooden one like this. But this is a great imagery, <laughs> For the sword of the spirit. Here's what Paul says. He says, take up the sword of the spirit. So he spent all of this time on these defensive parts of our armor, right? It's all defensive. The shield is defensive. The breastplate of righteousness is defensive. The helmet is defensive. It's all in the defense. But then he moves to some offensive weapons. And he says, take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This is our sword. Now, let me ask you a question. Does the enemy sometimes knock us in the head and knock us down and take our sword and use it against us? Yes, he does. If you see in Matthew when Jesus is in the desert and he is being tempted, what does Satan do? He actually tempts him to sin by using Scripture. I got a newsflash for you. Satan knows the Bible better than some of you. And that is a shame. He knows the Bible better than some of us. And he uses it to deceive us. He twists scripture. He maligns scripture. That's why I've got guys coming to my door all the time in ties with elder tags on their, on their coats telling me that they worship Joseph Smith, and the Bible says that because Satan has maligned scripture. He twists it just enough to make it seem real, and it's not, and he uses the sword against us. He will convince us that it's not a sword, he will convince you that the Bible's not true, that it's not really inspired by God, and people go, oh, man, that's not a sword. And then he knocks you over the head and stabs you with it, and you go, oh, that's really a sword, isn't it? I guess it was a sword. I guess it was the Word of God. Here's, here's typically what we do with the Word of God. Paul says take it up so you can fight your enemy. But a couple things that we do with the Word of God that aren't really what Paul is prescribing. Sometimes we stab one another with the Word of God. Now follow me for a second. Sometimes we stab one another with the word of God. And here's what I mean by that. When we argue about things that don't matter, like whether or not you're pre-trib, post-trib, or when is Jesus coming back? I'm a pan-millennialist. It's all going to pan out. We stab people over that. 
Sometimes we stab people over whether or not you're a Calvinist or an Arminian. We stab people over that. Sometimes we stab people over all types of things. Let me just be really honest with you. I have some views about all of that stuff, but I am not willing to stab a brother over them. I am not willing to stab a brother over them. And if you spend all of your time stabbing one another about those things, then the enemy is having a heyday, and he's loving it. Because the thing the enemy wants more than anything is to not to have to engage you and watch his enemies kill themselves. If I am in war, I would love to stand back and drink a latte and watch the people I'm fighting kill themselves. And we're doing that. We do that when we stab each other with the word of God. When we use this, which God has given us to equip one another and build one another up, and we twist it and we malign it and we actually stab one another with it. And it happens all the time. The other thing we like to do with the word of God is not only stab one another with it. And let me say this about some of those issues. There are primary issues which I will divide with someone over. And the primary issues are this. Is Jesus Christ the way to heaven? Is there a literal heaven, literal hell? What happened on the cross? I'll divide with someone over those issues. If you disagree with some of those things, they are worth dividing over. But other things are not worth dividing over. They're secondary. They're not worth stabbing over. Right? You follow me? The second thing we do is this. With the word of God, we sit around and talk about the sword, but we never actually use it. We do this all the time. We're great at this at church. We sit around and talk about the sword and the mightiness of the sword. And look how great my sword is and look how clean it is. And then we never use it. Because when it comes time to use it, we don't have it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was imprisoned by the Nazis. They took his Bible. They put him in prison for preaching the gospel. And they said, now you don't have your Bible. He said, oh no, got my Bible. Because he had hidden God's word in his heart. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was in prison for a long time. And if you read some writings by him, he talks about being in prison. And he talks about how the only thing he had to feast on when he was in a cell with walls all around him. And he hardly ate throughout the day. And he was imprisoned by the Nazis was the word of God. Why? Because he spent years feasting on it every single day. How often do we feast on the word of God? How often do we feast on that? Because there may be a day. I know it's crazy because we've got like 20 Bibles on our shelves and they all get dusty and we hardly use them. But there may be a day where you do not have as much access to the Word of God. We love to stab each other with our swords. We love to talk about them and not use them. But here's what Paul says. Use it. And use it on your enemy. Use it to fight sin. Use it to cut out sin. Use it. But he he continues on and he finishes with this. He says, verse 18, We've got the defensive weapons, we've got the offensive weapon, but then we kind of have the energy for the battle. He says, praying at all times in the spirit, with all prayer and supplication, and to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare boldly as I ought to speak. He says the energy for all of this, to put on all of this armor, is prayer. And here's the reality. When you're in the middle of a battle, I don't know if any of you have been fighters before. Um, I am not a fighter. I'm a lover, right? But if any of you have been fighters before, if you're kickboxers or if you've talked to anyone who's been an ultimate fighting champion, I like to hang out with those guys because they'll take care of you. But if if you're ever around any people that have been in like competition fighting, it is very tiring. 
If you've ever been on a, in a fight on the schoolyard, right, you'll eventually wear out. It's hard. Stay away from that guy. Um, <laughs> he's a scrapper. Um, love you, man. Um, it is tiring. So here's the deal. I need, I need energy. And here's what Paul says. The energy for this is prayer. Check out what he says. He says, pray at all times in the spirit. So he gives us a prescription for praying. Here's how praying goes. We pray to the father through Jesus in the spirit. We pray in the spirit because sometimes we don't know what to say to God. And so the Bible actually says in Romans, when we don't know what to say to God, the spirit intercedes for us and has groanings that we don't even understand. Has there ever been a time where you go, I don't even know what to pray, God. Just, just yes, pray for me, spirit. Has there ever been a time like that in your life? You just come before God and say, I don't know what to pray. The Bible says we are to pray in the spirit. So he says, pray at all times in the spirit with prayer and supplication. But he also says this, pray for the saints. Who are the saints? He says, pray for one another. Instead of taking our swords and stabbing one another, Satan really likes that. He says, take your sword, fight the enemy with that and pray for one another. Because this thing is not a singular event. Spiritual warfare is not me putting on my armor and going out to pick a, pick a fight with Satan and his demons. That's not spiritual warfare. I remember growing up, going to VBS and all that stuff. Uh, we would talk about spiritual warfare. And typically, one guy would walk in wearing a piece of armor. I'm like, sweet, I want to be that dude. I want to put on all my armor and stuff. But sometimes our thought is, I put on my armor, I go and fight my battle. No, no, no. Paul is writing to a group of Christians. So when he talks to them about spiritual warfare, he's actually talking to them as a group. So here's what he would say tonight. All of you, together, take up the sword of the Spirit. All of you, together, put on the helmet of salvation. All of you, together, take up the shield of faith. Now what's interesting about the shield of faith, and here's how we know that this is a corporate battle, not a singular battle, is because typically the shields that they had were actually made so that I could put my shield against your shield, and that you could put your shield against my shield, and they would actually interlock, and they would make one big wall. That's how the Roman shields were made. It's like Lincoln logs, right? You could put one shield against another shield against another shield. And so what they would do is there was no gap in their defense. There was no hole in their defense. And man, when you have a wall of armor coming against you, that's pretty intimidating. Here's what Paul's saying. We, not just you, we are in a battle. And instead of stabbing one another with our sword, we should pray for one another because there are some people who are falling. There are some people who are struggling. Tonight, in this room, guarantee you this. There are people who are struggling. You have taken off your shield. You've laid down your sword for whatever reason. And you're struggling tonight. You believe in lies about who you are in Christ. And you're struggling tonight. And here's the reality. Is that I need to pray for you and you need to pray for me. But on a battlefield, if my brother falls, I'm picking him up. We're really, really good sometimes in church at kicking people while they're down. I need to pick my brother up. I need to pick up my sister. Because we're in a battle together. That's what Paul says. Pray for the saints. Pray for energy. Then he says, pray for me, even though I'm in chains, that I may declare boldly. Suffering was a part of his life. And he had accepted it, and he prayed not for release from prison, not that he would stop being beaten, not that he wouldn't be chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day. He prayed for more boldness. 
And that's amazing. That is absolutely amazing. I wonder if I would ask that same prayer. Mine would probably be something like this. Please come and get me out of here now. Right? If I went to Africa and they put me in prison, I would write you all a letter to come and get me. Mostly send someone that's big and has a gun. Um, Chris has guns, I think. Send him. But here's the deal. Pray for one another. So I'm going to ask you tonight, and then Josh is going to come and kind of close us out with some songs. The reality is we're in a war. The reality is it's, it's vicious. The reality is some of us are, are not winning our war, <laughs> even though Jesus has won the war ultimately. Tonight, as we worship, we're going to celebrate the fact that Jesus has won. And if we're in Jesus, we win. But some of us need to start appropriating that, right? It's one thing for me to have a million dollars in my bank account, but if I never do anything with it, it's pointless. Some of us know that we are in Christ and that Satan has no, no reign over our lives, but we don't live that. And so we are losing this battle. Jesus has won the war, but we are presently, some of us, losing the battle to sin, to Satan, to demons. We're losing. So here's the deal tonight. As, uh, as Josh leads us, we're going to stand, we're going to sing, we're going to celebrate the fact that Christ has won the battle. But some of us, before we can really celebrate, we need to just get some prayer. Paul says, pray for the saints. If you need prayer tonight, this is what I ask you to do. If you need prayer tonight, this might be a little, a little bold. That's okay. Um, while Paul, um, while Paul, that's not Paul, that's Josh. Golly. I have pretty, a rash. Paul. <laughs> it's pretty sweet. <laughs> yeah. Paul is leading us in worship. Wow. That's why everyone came. Um, while Josh is leading us in worship, here's what I ask you to do. If you'd say, man, now this is different, but I just need some prayer. You don't have to say what for. You don't have to say what you're going through. If you want to, you can. But um, if you would say, man, I want someone to come and pray over me. This is what I'm going to ask you to do in a second. We're going to stand up. We're going to worship together. It's going to be awesome. But I want to ask you, if you'd say, man, I need prayer. I feel like I'm losing the battle, even though Jesus has won the war. I want to ask you to get out of your seat and just come and kneel here. Make this place an altar. And then for those of us who are here and going, man, I'm cool right now. We need to pray for those people. Everybody follow me? So don't be ashamed, right? This isn't like shame game, okay? This is, we're all in this together and we've all been there before. And sometimes I'm going to fall and you're going to have to pick me up. And sometimes you're going to fall and I'm going to have to pick you up. This is not a shame game. This is us being the body and doing what Paul said, pray for the saints. So I'm going to pray for us and uh, we're going to stand, we're going to sing. And if you need prayer, just come up here and and get on your knees. um, And then someone is going to come and and pray over you. Here's what I would ask just to kind of keep this on the legit side. Uh, Girls, if you could pray for girls and guys, if you could pray for guys, uh, we'll just keep that real. Okay. Um, Everybody follow me. Is that cool? Let's do this. Let's stand and we're going to pray. And then we're just going to have some worship. And as we worship, just celebrate the fact that Christ is the victor. Christ wins. And if we're in him, we win. Jesus, we thank you tonight that because of you, we have the victory. That through the cross, you triumphed over the grave. You triumphed over the rulers and the authorities. And you actually made a public spectacle of them throughout all eternity. That you win. Father, I pray tonight that we would be people who put on the armor of God, which is really you. You are the shield of faith. You are the helmet of salvation. You are the shoes fitted with readiness for the gospel. Lord, I pray that we would put on you every single day. 
But Father, I pray tonight for people in this room that know that they have won the war but are losing the battle because they have given some part of that armor away and they're being owned by Satan. So Father, I pray that they'd be reminded tonight that in you we win the war and it's a done deal. I pray tonight just for some boldness, maybe for some people that just need prayer. And that those of us who can give that, Father, would just do that generously, God. And we would move from our seats and find someone and pray over them and just be there for them and pray for the saints. God, we love you. We pray all these things in Jesus and in his name, the one who wins. We love you, Jesus. Amen. As Josh leads, you guys can come to the altar, just worship, celebrate the fact that Jesus wins.